listening to the Uloft Podcast, presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others, while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining the ULAF podcast. This is Michael Bond, and I'm sitting here with Caleb Fugate. Hey, good to be back, y'all. Okay, so we haven't done a podcast in a little while. It's been a couple weeks, if not a few weeks. And so it'd be good to get one out here before United kicks off again on January 25th. Yeah, it's coming Tuesday. Yeah, wow. We are like five days away, my friend. I can't believe it. Like, it seems like a few days ago that I was thinking about when United was coming back and I thought to myself, oh, that won't be for a while still. Yeah, but no, it's, like, nope, it's, right it's here. coming back up real fast. Well, the month of January kind of just flew by. At least it did for me. Yeah, and I don't know if you feel this way, but for ever since 2020, like I, I found myself forgetting what year it is sometimes. Like I'll write yeah. 2021 oh, yeah. and sometimes I'll write 2020. Yeah, well, so there's this like, I was thinking this like this, perception of time that I've had over the past couple of years in some moments it's like it seems to fly by faster than normal and in other moments it seems to stretch on indefinitely yeah and it's like very bizarre and I've never experienced that in life and I'm sure the pandemic has something to do with it but I was thinking of like um space time you know how like gravity affects and stretches time so mm -hmm. like the the more the closer you are to like a gravitational force the longer time yeah, yeah. seems to go and like the further you are from like a gravitational force the faster time goes so if you're close to a black hole like if you ever watched interstellar if you're close to a black hole like one second is like 10 years yeah on I, earth and it's like i wonder if the pandemic has like that sort of like gravitational weight to it where it's like this was such a heavy thing that like the the closer we were to it and like in the thick of things, time uh, stretched. And as we've kind of had moments of like where things got lightened up, it was like time seemed to fly by because we were so used to like this stretched yeah. time fabric. And yeah, it's, it it's bizarre. It feels like after, and you know, uh, for the record, this has nothing to do with the podcast today, but we're right. just, we're processing. Yeah, we're processing. And you might be tired of hearing about COVID, but we don't really care. And we think that you'll find this interesting anyway. <laughs> so really ever since 14 days, I think it was 14 days of slow spread or something like that. Um, really that moment mm -hmm. when like Disney shut down and things, things really started becoming real. Yeah. It was like everyone was just collectively thrust into this new reality, into this yeah. new space. And we've never really gone back. And yeah. I think people like they, they yearn for the yesteryear, they yearn for the, the normal that we left behind, so to speak, or when things are gonna get right. back to normal. And it almost feels like that yearning has colored 2020, 2021, and mm. it's looking like some of 2022, if not all of it. And so we're, we're in this space where, yeah, time has taken on a different quality. Like we're, yeah. we're counting these years as pandemic years. We're counting these years as years that are not normal. Right. And maybe that's part of it. Uh, I'm not really sure as far as uh, why time seems to be behaving strangely yeah. in the midst of all of this. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm sure there's a biblical illusion. The thing that was popping into my head was uh, like when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness and they were like, we want to go back to Egypt. And I'm not sure the exact like connections. And it's like, I don't think we want to go 
like Egypt for them was still brutally terrible. Whereas like pre COVID it's like, you know, that it doesn't quite equate to that, but it's like, yeah. you know, I wonder what the connections are in a biblical sense. I mean, I do think you make a valid <laughs> connection there in the sense that whatever this is that we're going through, this is God's will. Like this God, history is unfolding. Yeah. And for us to desire to go back, right. To reverse the story is, is probably not the trajectory that we want to go. Right. And I'm not, you know, we're not here saying we know exactly what God's will is, but um, you know, all of this seems to be within the bounds of it. And right. Um, like if we're going to admit that he's in control still, yeah. then we have to also admit that things are happening the way that he is planning them to happen the way that he's, and we get into the weeds on that too, right, because yeah. like, do we say then that God desires suffering, God desires evil and all the other things mm -hmm. that sort of transpire through history? Right. Um, well, and allow and desire are two very separate things. Um, it's like allow the, um, the constructs of the world to do what they want to do. And in this case, you know, create a COVID pandemic is different than God sending a plague upon the earth right like those are two very different things right. and in the bible god does both like god allows things to happen and god sends things to happen and you know part of the the wise mind is discerning what is something allowed and what is something sent um and i i wonder if this is an allowed thing as opposed to yeah. a, a sent thing i'm willing to bet there are people out there who are probably like this is god's judgment and condemnation on the world and it's like well Maybe not. I don't know. I, I wonder. I wonder why we do that with God. Why we um, try to put His will in a box, or to try to understand why things are happening the way that they're happening. Uh, I think maybe because we want the control, or we want the peace of mind, or we want to be able to predict what's coming next. So if yeah, we say, which is still a control thing, yeah. And I think that childlike faith would be to say okay well maybe this is something that god has ushered in maybe this is something that god has allowed whatever it is like so our peace right. should be in who god is rather than in what is happening around us right. we can know that if we allow <clears throat> who god is to color the things that are happening around us then we can right. sort of remain at peace yeah so there's this in in exodus i think it's 38 uh, I'm going to double check that while I'm talking. Exodus 38 is where we get the first glimpse of um, where God gives like his self-proclaimed characteristics and he gives like five or six of them. He says, I am merciful. I am gracious. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in loyal love. Um, and there was one other one that I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's like, you know, even in the midst, like you were saying, everything that's going on, part of what we need to know is who God is. Um, and those are God's self-proclaimed attributes. He is yeah. merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love. Oh, and merciful, uh, and gives forgiveness to the thousandth generation or something like mm -hmm. that. Right. Um, and it's like, okay, I don't, you know, I'm not sure what's going on. I'm not sure why it's happening, but I do know that these are things that God says about himself and I can take that to the bank Yeah, and, and rest on that and be okay with it. 
it's interesting because we do that with people who we trust already. Like right. Yeah. A lot, you know, and I'm not going to assume that everyone listening to this has have, had good parents. But for instance, if you have if you have good parents and you're a little kid and they take you to like the doctor and you're getting a procedure or maybe you're getting a shot or something, you might right. not have any idea of what's about to happen to you. But as long as your parent is there, you know that you're right. going to be okay. You know that, you know, they wouldn't put you in a bad spot. And even if you don't have parents like that, you probably have someone in your life like that. Yeah. And if God is that to the infinite extreme, yeah. I mean, but it's, it's, it's difficult. Like it's, it seems harder to do it with God than it does to, to do it. Well, with that's people. because when you're in the doctor's office as a child, your parent is legitimately standing there and you can see them and you can look to them and you can see a calm expression on their face. You can see that they aren't worried. You can see that like they're, that this is that you know in a physical and real sense that that is happening. It is difficult to see that when you don't have that person standing in the room next to you saying, like in a in a physical sense. And it's yeah. like we, you know, part of of developing faith is um, gaining eyes to see and ears to hear God in the room, standing there like the parent, right? Like, and and reading the Bible is so necessary for that because if you're not doing that. Um, you don't know what God looks like to yeah. see him standing in the room. Like, so knowing those characteristics that I just mentioned in Exodus is so important because when you see graciousness um, and mercifulness and steadfast love, um, and those are the characteristics of God, you know that God is standing in the room with you, right? And it's like I, having eyes to see that in a spiritual sense is um, completely necessary uh, if we are to make it through things like we're experiencing right now with any sort of semblance of, of faith in the midst of it yeah. and well-being, and spiritual you, well-being. Right. You make a really good point about, you know, it could be difficult to see these things in God because he doesn't feel, sometimes he doesn't feel as tangible as like people who are right in front of us. But right. you, but the point that you make about, look, if you're not reading your Bible, um, like that's, that's a, you don't know what to look for. Right. Yeah. And you're, you're not using the greatest tool you have to commune with God, essentially, yeah. like to, to, to know God. Yeah. And so when we talk about the importance of scripture, we might start off by saying that, you know, if you feel like God is not present in your life or you're going through a chaotic or a very difficult situation, yeah. or you don't, you don't recognize God moving in your life, or you just think he's not there at all. Um, if you're not in the scriptures, it could be the case that he is moving, that he is acting, that he is present in right, your and you're life. Just missing you're it. just missing it. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a, or really... you're in the scriptures. Uh, so the other, the other side of that is you're in the scriptures so much, um, but, but you have defined who God is and put placed God in a box um, so that when he does show up, um, you're, so the Pharisees, for example, spent a ton of time in scripture and yet they still missed mm -hmm. God because uh, their preconceived notion of God um, maybe didn't exactly line up with everything that was in scripture, despite the fact that they're in scripture so much. So, you know, you could read the scripture so much and get so set in your ways um, that you miss out on something bigger that God is doing. Yeah, that's super dangerous too, to have yeah. a misapprehension or a misunderstanding of God that you have full faith conviction in right like you're you're convicted in your misunderstanding well, and, and faith so faith and doubt are not opposites uh faith and 100 percent certainty are opposites mm. and i think a lot of people think doubt is the opposite of that but if i know something for 100 percent sure 
I don't need faith. Right. That's not faith. Yeah. Right. Like if you are a hundred percent convinced that God is exactly like this, then what you have is not faith. Right. Um, and that's not ever what God calls us to be. Because if you are a hundred percent certain, you know exactly who God is and what God is up to. That means you are God. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And that's a, taken... that's a sin. <laughs> oh yeah. And then when things don't unfold according to your supposed perfect understanding yeah, you fall of fall apart. Yeah. You, yeah. Right. You fall apart and you get, just lividly angry yeah. with people lividly uh, livid uh, you get livid with people yeah, you get, that's the whole point of it <laughs> right, you get f- you f- just ferociously angry with yeah. the people who are sort of uh who act as evidence that your version of right. god is not the correct right. version and so, so one of the um so a, a lot of what i'm going to say i actually was just listening to a, a bible project episode so um, shout out to, to Mackie Bible Project if you're listening to this. I don't know why you would be, but um, <laughs> your content's great. It, it's very helpful. Um, and in one of the episodes they're talking about, so Paul talks about in the New Testament um, and that we need as Christians to come together, sing spiritual songs, um, hear the word of God aloud, and I forget what the other thing is, um, but you probably know what I'm talking about. Like the things that Christians do when they come together, oh, break bread, um, listen to the teachings of the apostles, sing spiritual songs, um, and hear the word of God preached aloud, right? Um, and we do great on the spiritual songs. We do pretty well on the breaking of bread. We do good on the apostles' teaching, but you know one thing we don't really ever do read the word of God aloud just for the sake of reading the word of God aloud, mm, yeah, right? Like, that's a good point. You know, every church, um, I do this and I'm guilty of this. Um, and I, this church is guilty of it. Not, and I'm not trying to condemn, but it's like when we read the word of God aloud, it is so that we can make a point, whether it's in preaching or something other than that. And it's like, part of what the early church did is read the word of God aloud. And the reason why they did that um, is because there's an Old Testament precedence for reading the word of God aloud so that people might know the story, right? So there's two instances of the word of God. You know, uh, this would have been in Moses and Deuteronomy and Joshua. Um, both of them read the word of God aloud in this, in the sense that they retell the story. Um, so uh, Moses says, hey, this is, I'm going to tell you who God is, and I'm going to tell you who God is via the story of how God has led you out of the out of Egypt, out of slavery. He is the God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he gave them a promise, um, and he has held to that promise, and he's delivered you out of slavery. And not only did he deliver you out of slavery, but he's taking us to the place where he had promised are your forefathers, right? And that is his character. He delivers and he holds to his word, right? And they preach this word aloud, like he tells this story aloud so that Israel might remember. Mm-hmm. And then Joseph, not Joseph, uh, Joshua does it later um, when they cross into the the new promised land, right? Um, and it's a completely new generation. So they, they might legitimately not remember the story. And so he's like, hey, when we walk into this promised land, I want you to guys to know why we're here what the vision is, what God wants from us. And he tells this story um, by reading the word of God aloud, right? And it's it's not like the they didn't have a Bible, obviously, but it's the things that they had written down um, up until that point, the law, um, the story of the Exodus, what happened with Abraham. Like they had read that story aloud so that the people might know where they came from so they know how to go forward, right? 
and we don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we read the word of God aloud, and then we quickly tell you exactly what we think it means. Right. And Joshua yeah. doesn't do that. Uh, yeah. He just reads the word aloud so that they can come up with their own conclusions of who God is, so that they might know where to go forward. Yeah. Now, of course, they provide guidance for that, um, but part of what happened with Israel, why they went astray, is what. They forgot the story. Mm -hmm. They stopped preaching the word of, they stopped telling the word of God out loud. They stopped gathering the masses and, and retelling the story. And Paul's saying, we need to make sure that we are doing this, right? Because there's something really important about making sure that you know the story of God, right? And we've got great access to the story of God and yet so many of us don't know the story of God and because of that we're walking around blindly like the Israelites did in the wilderness in the midst of great chaos when in reality um, God has a vision of where we're supposed to go we just miss it yeah because we don't know the story I wonder and our place in it I wonder if so I've watched a lot of preachers kind of rush through their scripture like mm-hmm. in the in the midst of their sermon like they'll they'll be preaching a sermon then they get to their scripture they kind of read it real fast and then they get to yeah. the part that they're where they're really preaching or that's how it seems and so I've definitely witnessed this phenomenon that you're talking about and it's also one of the reasons why I vastly prefer ex- expository sermons over something like topical because yeah. then you're you're focusing on the yeah. passage and the context and the story more than the principle right and I think that so are are there implications for this in our preaching like for instance is it the case that we might be pulling the principles too far away from the stories so like there's a lot of people maybe a lot of uh christians today who are really familiar with christian principles but Mm -hmm. not familiar with biblical stories correct and so what have we done have we uh well and and we're familiar with christian principles because our you know the country ethos is roughly christian judy you know judeo-christian principles mm-hmm. um, but most people have no idea what is like their place in this larger story because they don't know the story right and i think part of the problem um well i'll let you go on because you're about to ask a question well i mean uh psalm 19 is really good for this i think that the sufficiency of scripture let's mm-hmm. say um particularly starting in verse seven and I mean, we can read through it just to kind of give you guys a feel, but in verse seven, it starts off by saying, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So right there, uh, just in that verse, the claim is that scripture is sufficient to restore your soul and to make you wise. And if we expect that that claim is true, then that means that you could be made wise through faithful devotion to scripture, even if maybe, for instance, you don't have a ton of life experience yep. or if you don't have a ton of uh, external knowledge. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, I'm a preacher, so obviously I think preaching is important. But um, so in Isaiah, it says this, um, and this is Isaiah 55. And, and we hear this kind of this principle, but we don't think about it. So the scripture is Isaiah 55, 11. So show my word, um, uh, so will my word by be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, useless, without results. Right? And we yeah. say this like the word of God never returns void. Um, you know what does return void sometimes though? People's thoughts about the word of God. Yeah, right? Ten, ten, and ten and talks. preaching 
is a lot of times, unfortunately, mostly people's thoughts about the word of God and not the word of God. Presumably, if this is true, and I think it is because it's scripture, I should be able to just get up on a stage and read the word of God and believe that that is enough to change people's lives and yeah. not say a word about it. And that's just, it's so amazing. But to think no about. one ever does that, right? So part of what I do at my churches that I do is like, I have a scripture that I'm going to be preaching on and I read that. Um, but what I also do is I have a call to worship that is a Psalm and it's a call and response and we will stand up and we will just go back and forth. I'll read a line. They'll read a line and we don't do anything about it. It's just hearing that scripture. And then we have, if I'm preaching from the New Testament, my I'll have a scripture passage from the Old Testament. If I'm preaching from the Old Testament, I'll have a scripture passage from the New Testament. And we won't do anything with that scripture passage. It's just so that people will hear it, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I, don't, I don't need to say anything about it because I'm believing firmly that there is something about just hearing this word aloud that is transformative enough and more than I could possibly do, right? Like I think the bad habit is we get into thinking that the things I say about scripture are more important than the scripture themselves. So when you hear pastors um, spend most of the time talking about nothing uh, dealing with scripture, or you know, you're you, you hear a sermon and it takes twenty minutes before they actually get to a passage, you're like, yeah. I just <laughs> I just assumed everything up until that point was completely useless, right? Because yeah. nothing about that it necessarily returns without void, right? Right. When you're right, if your content is mostly illustration, <laughs> then you have right. to wonder if like, or like a joke, right? You're yeah. like, oof, you have to wonder if the, the thought process was, oh man, this is a great illustration. Let me, let me find a scripture that I can attach to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, instead of saying, let me go to the scriptures and just parse those out to the best of my own understanding yeah. um, and stick with the stories of scripture. Um, and it's okay to you. I, so I have this conversation with you all when we're planning for United Sermons. It's like, you know, we have a section on illustration and when we're talking about them. Um, so far, uh, you know, every time we've sat down and gone over our sermons together, which if you're wondering, we there's a group of us that sit down and go over each of our sermons to say, hey, we think you should do this to improve, you know, do this, do this, change this up um, so that we're trying our best to put out the best content and most biblical content for you all. Um, is we have like a section on illustration. And so far... Um, every time I've walked into that meeting when I'm preaching, I have yet to have an illustration because I'm yeah, just like, yeah. that's not my thing, right? right? And not that they're bad, because um, illustrations can be helpful. Um, I just, I'm just like, I'm one, I'm not good at it, so I'm not gonna try. Um, but two, every time I try to do an illustration, like I, I, I feel like I'm better equipped to just tease out part of that larger biblical narrative that whatever this sit, yeah. is sits in. Right. It's so interesting because in all of my training, I don't think I've ever, and if, if I did, I'm sorry that I'm forgetting the person who trained me in this, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever encountered when it comes to delivery, a discussion of how you should read the scriptures publicly in a, in a way that's, you know, yeah. because you could get up there and just read, be completely wooden about it. Yeah. And like, that's fine, I guess but it's not, you're not really doing it justice sometimes. Like if there's drama in the passage that oh, you're yeah. reading and also like w the speed thing is, is a real killer because I feel like a, a lot of preachers do that. Mm -hmm. Like they'll just whip through it. They'll yeah. go so fast. Yeah. And I think that breathe a little. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's just, there's, 
we could be doing more to make a scripture heavy sermon yeah. be interesting. Yeah. Uh, it should be interesting on its face yeah. because scripture should be interesting. But if we're just trying to rush through it mm-hmm. or we're just kind of glossing over it, what are we implying about the word of God right. at that point? And, right. and is there something deep inside of the people who are listening who yeah. is they're receiving that implication and they're thinking, hmm. Right. And so then you end up with like cult of personalities because yeah. oh, it's yeah. like, oh, well, you know, as long as we have our pastor, we don't need the Bible. Yeah. And that's where people kind of try to, they, they tend to head towards that. Yeah. Well, so um, I'm leading, uh, and if you are interested and want to come join us on Thursdays at five, uh, I lead a Bible study down at Commonplace. Um, and the, the Bible study is finding the gospel in the Old Testament. Um, and we were working through, uh, we're in Genesis and we're going to be in Genesis for forever because we're doing like a chapter a week, maybe. <laughs> um, but we were doing Genesis 11, which is the story of the Tower of Babel. And I think it's one of the most profound gospel stories um, in the Old Testament. Like it, I think it really points to like the truths of the gospel in the sense that it's like you have these people who were trying their darndest quite literally to work their way towards heaven. Mm. Like they built a tower so that they could walk. They built it and worked towards heaven quite literally and figuratively like they were trying to achieve and become like God and stand with God and stand before God in their own merit and their own power and their own knowledge and God says no I don't want that right and and that like confuses everyone with language hence the Bible part um, but later in that chapter at that very end of that chapter we get a name um, and that name is Abram And the very next story is the story of the call of Abram and God saying, I don't want you to work towards me. I'm going to come to you. And then we get the story of Abraham, which is the start of the story of Israel and God's covenantal promises to his people. Right. And it's like, I don't need you to work towards salvation. I'm coming up with the salvation plan on your behalf. Right. And instead of me coming up with an illustration for that, like the story is the illustration. The Tower of Babel is the illustration for us working our own salvation out, right? Apart from God. Whereas the story of Abraham, like that name of Abram and the covenantal story is the illustration for God's grace and mercifulness and him coming up with a plan of salvation on our behalf, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is the illustration. So I don't need some other like, story about you know me with my kids that I don't actually have but how many pastors do that and it's like well those kids are embarrassed now it's like I I stayed with the text as much as possible because there's something beautiful in it yeah I didn't just blow through it in fact I'm going back to it over and over and over again and we spent you know an hour talking about this text and just kept coming up with new and beautiful things that were happening in it that were the illustrations for the gospel itself and it's Mm -hmm. like I I wish we spent more time doing that instead of saying here's my points let me find a passage and we'll just blow through the passage itself yeah there was a pastor Chuck Smith who was famous for several things but one of them was uh, his C3000 Bible series you can find it on YouTube basically what he does is he just reads through the scriptures verse by verse Mm -hmm. and when he gets to a point that he thinks is interesting or he wants to just tell you to focus on or kind of talk a little bit about he talks a little bit about it for like a minute and then he keeps going and yeah i sometimes wonder if our preaching became like that if if uh 
if we just read the scripture and then when we got to a, a part that was like particularly pertinent, we just yeah. said, Hey, look at this. This is what this means. And then we keep going. Maybe that would be more profitable. And may, well, here, here's the thing. Okay. Uh, I don't like titling sermons. Oh, I don't either. Right. Like I come up with titles and then they never actually end up with the finished result. And I feel bad for my church members because they're probably looking at this being like, oh, he's going to talk about, maybe it's a good thing. They think I'm going to talk about one thing and I'm just like, nope, we're doing something completely different yeah, actually. Kind of throw a curveball. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the reason why I don't like to do that, and I'll do it sometimes, like I've filled the pulpit places where they require, they, they want a title for their program, you know, yeah, so I'll right, give them right. something. But I don't like to do it because on the off chance that I preach a great sermon, um, I would like people to remember what passage that was from. Right. Not the title, like not not the point, not the principle, not the title of the sermon, but what passage it was on. Yeah. Uh, I want I want people to hear a sermon that's like life changing. And that right, because the point special... of it is, at some point they're going to go back to that. Right. Pa- like they're never going to go hear your sermon again. Right. But they might go back, you know, and reading through the word, hit that passage and be like, "Oh my gosh, I remember this one time I heard a sermon about yeah. it, and it went like this." Right. Like that's far more helpful. And this kind of thing happens all the time mm-hmm. with other things. Like there's everybody listening to this probably has a particular smell, except me because I can't smell anymore because of COVID. Because <laughs> of COVID. But everybody probably has a particular smell that reminds them of something from oh, the yeah. past. And they're like, oh yeah, that brings me back. Right. What if you listened to 5,000 sermons mm-hmm. and all of them were tied to a particular passage of scripture right. that was sort of the, 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 the reference of the passage yeah. was front loaded, right. like Psalm 19, for instance. Right. Or Genesis 11, the Tower yeah. of Babel story. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so you hear that sermon and it really impacts you. Yeah. And you remember where you were when you heard it. Yep. You were, maybe you maybe you remember smelling something. Or the, the life time, experience or, you were yeah, in. Right. Yeah. The life experience. And then you go back and you read your Bible later and it brings you back to that point in your life. Yes. And that's such a And that's exactly like, that's exactly what Paul is talking about. That's exactly why Moses, that's exactly why Joshua. So that any point in time when they hear something of the word of God, they're transported back to a moment when God did something for them, right? And that's why it's so imperative to be spending time in the word, because if you don't, you miss out on all of that. Right. And frankly speaking, you're like, Jesus gives this parable of people who build, uh, who, you know, scatter seed and some of it's in rocky soil and some of it's in really shallow soil. Like not having that is like the rocky and shallow soil. When hard things come, your faith is going to be gone. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. eaten up by the birds or dried out by the sun, right? And that's what happened with Israel. They didn't remember where they came from. They didn't remember the word of God. They had no concept or time or thing in their brain um, for when something bad happens, I can remember back to a time where something bad happened and God delivered me because yeah. they had forgotten that when hard times came, when the Amalekites and the Babylonians and the Assyrians and everyone was marching on their doors, they said, oh, crud, we're in trouble. Instead of saying, oh, remember that time when we were fighting Moab and God beat them on our behalf by sending angels or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, I believe that's going to happen, right? They they had missed all of that because they didn't remember the word of God. Yeah. And they didn't remember it. They didn't even have it written down. We have it written down, access in a million different translations available to us, and yet we still neglect it and we wonder why. 
our country is in such spiritual despair. Oh, yes. Um, if we create a culture that loves church and loves worship, but doesn't, doesn't love, love the Bible, Bible, we've missed it. Mm -hmm. And like, what have we created? So, <laughs> it, you know, we were talking about this right before the podcast. So Kendall and I, uh, we went with a group of our students and young adults to Passion Conference. And there was just this beautiful moment in the Passion Conference where, um, so there's lots of languages that the Bible is not written in. Um, and there are groups of or organizations out there trying to translate the Bible into languages that people don't have yet, right? Um, and one of the things was they were doing a, a basically a fundraising thing at Passion Conference where people could donate money to an organization that translates the Bible. Um, and they had raised enough money to make that all happen. And there's this beautiful moment in the middle of Passion um, where they had a Bible translator from, I'm not sure where, um, in Africa. Um, but they were translating quite literally in front of us for the first time ever a passage of scripture into this language. Mm. So for the first time ever, this group of people were able to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Wow. Yeah. And it's like, huh. there was something like, I looked at Kendall and he's crying and I'm crying. And because we both realized the weight of like, our fully one, like our folly and foolishness, yeah. but two, the fact that there are people out there in the world who want to know who this Jesus is and don't have a Bible don't have the word of God, can't tell those stories, can't be part of this story yet because they haven't been given it yet. And yet I sit over here on a, you know, ignoring my Bible in the morning sometimes yeah. um, because I don't have that same desire that they have, right? Yeah. Huh. People are dying to like quite literally dying to get these words translated and sent to people because they want them so badly because they need them so badly so yeah. that they know where they are part of this story and that they know that the redemptive power of Jesus Christ that they can't know otherwise right yeah. uh, Philip has that conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch where he's like how can I know if no one tells me how can I know if I don't hear the story right and mm -hmm. it's like yeah you can't mm -hmm. right and I am you know, so foolish in myself. I am so greedy in myself to think that I can have it, not only have it, but have it in, you know, a hundred different translations and versions. And I can know God deeply and yet I ignore it yeah. over and over and over again. And yet there are people dying, trying to just get one verse translated so that they might hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's like, how selfish yeah, are we, yeah, man? That's, that's, and it was like, we're like, we were both standing there weeping as grown adult men um, because we realized like the weight of that. And it's like, they were translating in real time. And that verse was the first time that verse had ever been written in that language. And I don't remember what the verse was, but it was like, I mean, it was important what the verse was, but it's also this idea that like scripture as a whole, isn't known to people in the world. And they need to know. And I have so much access and yet neglect it. Man, that's a that's a really impactful story when I think about it. And like so I, I'm willing to bet that most, if not all, people hearing this have heard preachers and pastors talk about the importance of scripture. Um but it, <laughs> I wonder where this is getting lost in the sauce then. Like, where's the disconnect? Because if we tell each other, we admonish each other over and over again to read the scriptures, but it doesn't seem to be picking up that much mm -hmm. in the church. Is it because 
while we admonish people to do it, we don't act it out. Like how we were talking about with our sermons, for, yeah. for instance, um, if we structured the church more around the scripture, mm -hmm. instead of just sort of paying lip service to it and talking about how right. infallible and honorable it is and all yeah. this, and then going and doing our own thing, like maybe that's where the dissonance is. Like I'm trying to pinpoint yeah. why everybody's heard this but it's nobody not, does it right it doesn't seem to yeah. resonate and like one of the things with well, maybe not nobody but right. her point of you yeah. know i think john wesley read his bible like five hours a day yeah he did <laughs> well so yeah so john wesley's the guy who started the methodist movement and he and the methodist movement were parts of like fairly responsible for a lot of some of the great awakening that happened here uh and as a methodist pastor he's He's the guy who started it. So it's like, yeah. I like that guy. Yeah. yeah, he spent, so not only did he spend like hours reading the word of God, and this is a little much, but, um, and maybe just a little crazy in some sense, but he, every 15 minutes, he would journal what had happened in the last 15 minutes, every sin he committed, huh. every thought that he had, every conversation that he had, um, every time he, a scripture popped into his mind and he would journal it so that like the word of God would always be in front of him. And his sin would always be pointed out so that he could work on it. Yeah, and it's like wow. that. Maybe that's a little much, but like that guy really cared, right? Yeah. Can you that imagine guy, him, as, him as an accountability partner? Oh man. Well, so <laughs> yeah, actually, it, so Methodists were kind of the OG small group people. Um, they had what they called bands and classes. Um, I love that I get to give you all a Methodist history crash course. Um, and a band was a group of three or four men with men and women with women and they would ask questions like what sins have and they would meet weekly and they would say what sins have you committed this past week like that's the starting yeah. question uh what <laughs> sins may you have committed and didn't know that they were sins or didn't realize right so it's like all right let's talk about the obvious things that you did and let's talk about maybe the things that you didn't realize you did but are problematic right yeah, yeah. and then they would offer offer like words of like grace and mercy to them but it's like yeah, they, they took this seriously when yeah. they said, you know, when the scripture says confess the words, you, you know, your sins to each other so that you may be healed. They literally did that each and every single week. And, and this was a little bit far, um, and we, we've changed things up, obviously, but I was like, well, maybe we should go back to this because they went from like 3,000 Methodists in the United States to one in three Americans in the United States were Methodists. It's a huge jump. Yeah, um, right. If you didn't go to enough class meeting and band meeting. So you get a ticket every time you went to a class meeting. You couldn't go to the class meeting, which was men and women together. So think of like a normal small group. Um, and the you basically get two or three bands. So like two bands of men and two bands of women would come together and make a class. And they would, you know, basically be a small group and look after each other and care for their families and children and all those types of things. If you didn't go to enough class meetings and you didn't, you wouldn't get, you'd get tickets every time you went to a class meeting mm. and you had to have enough tickets to show up to get communion. Huh. Wow. Yeah. That's because a... they took membership and basically it was like a membership thing right yeah. like they took membership so seriously yeah um and they took this living out of the word so seriously um and like i said that led to the great revival of people taking the word of god seriously yeah people they when and we don't when you're put under a burden of responsibility it calls forth the best in you this is one of the reasons why when when many people have children 
it completely changes them for the better. Now, that's not a foolproof thing. There are people who are not great parents. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of... But by and large, adding responsibility usually makes people better people. And that's really interesting to think about because a lot of times, like we have a love-hate relationship with responsibility because if somebody just keeps throwing responsibility onto you over and over again, yeah. first of all, you'd probably end up dying because you can't... There's only bear so the much load of you. it. Yeah. yeah, you can't bear the load of it. But at the same time, when it comes to finding out the right amount of load to bear nothing is the wrong answer like mm -hmm. no load at all is is not where you want to be no um and so that's kind of interesting because well when you think about modern churches it's, it's so competitive particularly in like certain parts of the south oh um, yeah there, there's so many like big like sort of churches that have big budgets and like things oh, going yeah. on and it's almost like they compete with each other for new members and if if there's like this capitalist style competition happening among churches, what I think might end up happening is that the church begins to reflect what the, the, the outsider, what the person outside the church wants in a church. Uh, so exactly. Like, yeah. And, and so well, and we have a, like a term for that. It's seeker sensitive churches. Right. And, and, and that's kind of like, I don't know if that's the right way of thinking about it. I, I mean, I get the idea behind seeker sensitive. Like you don't want yeah. people to show up and be like, what are these people doing? I need to get out of here. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're- And yet part of like the early church did exactly that. So imagine you're a Roman citizen and this guy who you know to be a Christian invites you over and they start doing communion and they say something along the lines of, uh, this is the body of this Jesus guy and the blood of this Jesus guy. You are going to go, what the? Like there yeah. was a rumor of early Christians that they were cannibal. Two of the rumors went around about early Christians uh, in Rome for a long while. They were cannibals um, and they participated in incest, right? Because they, and the cannibalism came from the fact that they did this weird communion thing where they said they took the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and then ate it and drank it, right? Yeah. Um, and like to an outsider, that's really weird, but yeah. they did it anyway. Like they didn't water it down. The other thing was they literally called each other brothers and sisters yeah. and husbands and wives would call each other brothers and sisters. Huh. And to a Roman citizen, you're like, why are you married to your brother or sister? Why are you sleeping with them? Kind of ordeal. Right. But they didn't change that because of Rome. Yeah. And, I and when they invited random Roman friends over to their house church, they didn't stop doing that. They didn't stop reading this Old Testament passage that's super weird and no one gets. They did it anyway. I think there's something about the boldness of that that is attractive. Well, first of all, okay, if you're if you don't have if you're not confident in your worldview, you're a seeker, for instance. Um, you're going to want to follow somebody who is confident in their worldview. Yeah. So if you want to attract people who are seekers, why would you? Why would you get rid of all of the convictions that you have? Like, why would you try to hide them? Right. Like, why would you try to hide the things that might be off-putting? Because it, they are, in fact, part of your worldview. Yeah. And if you try to hide them, you're sort of implying that you're not confident in what you believe. And if you're not confident in what or you believe... Or you're trying to deceive them. Or deceive them. Yeah. yeah. And like, well, I guess the, the point then is churches should not look exactly like the culture and maybe the reason why this happened in the west is because like you said the west was built on a judeo-christian ethos and so it was yep. it was so mixed into the culture yep. that having churches that looked like the culture wasn't really a bad thing no. uh, but 
allowing the culture to be in the driver's seat of the church is probably a bad thing because right. then, you know, if you start to drift, well, the churches are going to drift as well because the churches want to remain uh, the most attractive to the people who are outside of the church. Yeah. And so, so a great example, a very pragmatic and simple example of this is the United States, as far as I know, is about the only place that does this. And it's very bizarre. Um, you walk into a lot of church sanctuaries and you know what you will find at the front? Two things. Uh, you will find two flags. One of them will be an American flag and the other will be like a Christian flag typically. Um, and the fact that we have like, like that is a particular cultural thing that the culture of the United States said the church needs to do. There's no biblical precedence for that. In fact, the biblical precedence would be for the opposite of that, mm. right? Like that we don't, when we say the Pledge of Allegiance, technically that goes against scripture because we're not supposed to give allegiance to anything yeah. but God, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And I know a lot of people are going to hate that, but it's like, I'm just, that's in the Bible. Like, I, I can tell you where yeah. that is, right? Um, but it's like, we let the culture dictate what should happen in the church. And so we put a bunch of flags in the fronts of churches. And it's like, I'm really peculiar for the rest of the world because no one else does that. That would be very odd um, for yeah. us to have that. But that's an example of the culture taking the driver's seat. And no one questioned it because it seemed like a, it's like it's not that big of a deal. It's just right. a flag standing like in the. Innocent. It's innocuous, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in reality, it's like that's a a small, but a lot of churches have it. Like you walk into most churches somewhere, else, I assure you, there will be an American flag. You know, my church has them, um, and I, you know, I don't. I'm not willing to die on the hill to say like let's move these because I think it is kind of innocuous and I never draw attention to them, but yeah. Um, it's like they're there because the culture said this is what church needs to be like instead of the church saying this is what culture should look like. Yeah. And I think that's a man, that's a sticky issue because there are some elements of patriotism, which we would consider virtuous, but mm -hmm. we don't want a good thing to become a religious thing. Yeah. Because so here. Well, and we also have to wonder, are all virtuous things, biblical things? Yeah. Because what a culture considers virtuous does not, not always be. what the Bible says is virtuous. Right. And it's it's sometimes useful when you think about this to kind of play it in reverse. And so when you think about like the separation of church and state or the idea of the separation of church and state, let's say, um, and you can think, okay, well, why would, what's a good reason for people to go to church? Like one of the less obvious reasons, let's say. And I think one of the less obvious reasons would be you have a religious impulse in you. It's by design. Yeah. Something like 97. You want to worship something. Yes. You are designed to worship something. And if you don't express that in a church, you're going to express it in other parts of life. Indeed. You're going to make politics your religion. You're going and to make... And how do I know that you were designed to worship something? Because it's in the Bible. And if you don't read the Bible, you wouldn't know that. <laughs> yeah, you totally miss it. And then you, and then you would, if you missed that then you would subject yourself to the danger of falling into something like a political, uh, uh, an uh, ideological cult based mm -hmm. in politics, for, in, or, for yeah, example. That, or yeah, it could be one of the things. Yeah, yeah. or even celebrity or yeah. anything. Like all those areas, you wouldn't know that you are a being with a proclivity to worship. And mm -hmm. if you're not worshiping in church, then you're going to be worshiping somewhere else. And, right. and we actually see that all over the place. And that's, man, that's... That's uh, the, I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious. It's like, I want to worship... Yeah. I just don't know what, and I don't want it to be a church. Yeah. I do know that. Like, I don't want it to be a church for X, Y, and Z reasons, but. And that's the thing too, is like, when you realize how much of your life 
how much of your quality of life and your decision-making is colored by your worship, by what you choose to worship. Like you better put a lot of thought into what yep. it is you're worshiping because that's going to write your story. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that there's a, a major disconnect even from that, even from the idea yeah. that that beliefs drive everything else. I don't mm-hmm. think people believe that. I think no, a lot of people don't. just don't believe that. And, you know, you think about like, maybe to just bring this back to Psalm 19, uh, there's this appetite for um, self-improvement. And look, I, you hear pastors all the time kind of uh, casting stones at self-help books. I don't think it's a good idea necessarily because some self-help books actually good they do a lot of good and i think that they're rooted in biblical principle and so we have some are not but some are right we have to sort the wheat from the chaff on that like the idea of self-help like that term is not great but like the idea behind it like this idea that i mean we have the same term it's like working out your eyes in salvation with fear and trembling there's Mm -hmm. a scripture verse about that and it's like allowing you and the holy spirit to figure out what you need to work on and working on it that's a biblical thing it's not I mean, people take it too far one way or another. It's like, I'm going to manifest like this. Right. <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. desire in me to be better in XYZ things like boo yeah. butt cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, so, and when we get to verse eight, it says, uh, this is Psalm 19, the precepts of the Lord are right, mm-hmm. rejoicing the heart. Mm-hmm. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So there's a couple of things here. The first part, rejoicing the heart. It's like, who doesn't want their heart rejoiced? That seems to be the the major uh, motive behind the entire self-help industry. Yeah. Because like you could say, oh, I just want to be a better person. Or I want to be better at yeah. things. But you want to be better at things so that you're happier. Yeah. So oh my can... gosh. So this, uh, this is an example of like, uh, what I'm about to talk about is an example of like, so you just said something. And it reminded me of a conversation about the Bible that if I didn't know the Bible, it wouldn't happen. So yesterday I was actually having a conversation with one of our leaders here at United. And it was around this very question um, because I I was reading um, John and there's a story in John where Jesus heals this crippled man. We're not sure exactly what happens, uh, why he's crippled, but he's in Bethsaida and there's this pool in Bethsaida that uh, the legend has that an angel would come down and stir up the water and whoever gets into the water after the angel had come down and stirred it up would be healed of whatever infirmities. And Jesus shows up there and he's talking with this um, this crippled man and he says, do you want to be healed? And the guy says, well, yeah, of course I do. But every time I try to get in the water, someone beats me to it. And you can kind of like hear the frustration in his voice. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a, such a stupid question. Yeah. I'm trying to get in the water, but... I'm crippled and other people are not and they're beating me to it and I never can get it. And he's like 38. So he's been doing this for a really long time. Um, and I think that question is like the question for a lot of, you know, if you're one of our, you know, people coming to United, listen to this or some other student, like that's the question. Do you want to be made well? Yeah. Um, and, you know, everyone is going to say, yeah, but the reality is I think a lot of people actually don't because mm-hmm. as messed up as whatever their life is, um, they've grown accustomed to it. Yeah. Um, they're the ones in control of it. Um, they made the decisions that maybe screwed it up, but they n- have a way of living that no one else dictates. Yeah. Right. And it's like, 
to be made well is to give that up. Yes. If you want to be weighed well, I know exactly. I can give you a foolproof, 100% way of doing it. And it is getting in this word and allowing God to change your heart. Yeah, That is how you will be made well. 100% of the time, every single time, without fail, that will happen. The question is, do you truly want to be made well? Because it means you have to give up yeah. what you are doing right now. It takes away your excuses too. Yeah. Like, man, that's and the word of God takes away your excuses. That's what but Paul says about this. Like Paul, when he's talking about the law, says the point of the law is to take away your excuses that when you stand before God and he's going to say, how do you plead? You have to say guilty. Yeah. Right. Like that, that's it. Right. It takes away your excuses. You might have a laundry list of excuses and you can read them before God and be like, you know, I did this good thing. I served at this. I helped orphanages. I did X, Y, and Z thing. And he's still going to ask, how do you plead? And it's like guilty, but like I did this thing and I did this thing and I did this thing and I did this thing. And it's like, you have no excuse. You messed up. You aren't perfect. Yeah, and that's it. And that's what the word of like, it, it changes who you are. It reveals who you are not. And that is perfect, which you should be. And it gives you the way to reach that through Jesus Christ. And if you aren't in this word, I keep picking up my phone. No one can see me, but you, this is yeah. weird. Like I keep picking it up. Like <laughs> yeah. I was preaching or something to say like, you need to be in this. I'm picking up my phone. Cause it's an example of the Bible. Cause I have the Bible on my phone. Um, it's like, you need to get in this. Cause you won't know that you won't ever be made. Well, you won't know the story of where you've come from. You won't know the story of what God is going to do forward. And if you miss that, like that's not a good place to be in life. And you yeah. won't know it unless you get into the word. I don't know if we've convinced you. Like part of my job is not to convince, like I can't say anything that's going to make you want to do this more. It's going to be of the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just trying to demonstrate my own passion for this, which I also fail at. Like I don't always get into the word, mm -hmm. but like when I do, I'm always emboldened and impassioned and uh, encouraged. And what was the word that Psalm, 8, Psalm 19 uses? Uh, like my soul rejoices, right, rejoicing of the heart. Yeah, yeah, it rejoices my heart every time I get into it. Yeah. And sometimes I forget of that goodness. But every time I do get into it, like yeah. God reveals those moments for me, like with that crippled man. It's like, there's a beautiful moment. God revealed that moment with me when we were talking about the Tower of Babel. It's like, no one looks at the Tower of Babel and thinks about the gospel. But it's like, I looked at the Tower of Babel and God showed me the gospel and like all of the bricks I'm putting into this tower yeah. to get to God. And God's like, I don't want any one of those bricks. Not a single one. That's like, man, maybe we can finish on this point. Uh, just this idea of having the mind of Christ. Mm. Uh, and I think about like that second part of that verse in Psalm 19 about enlightening the eyes. And I, I you know, there's an indirect parallel here, but okay. Just think about the mind of Christ for a second. I've, I've often wondered about this idea and thinking that the more scripture that you have resident in you yeah. as you walk through the world. Yeah the more you have the mind of Christ. And that actually yes. makes you interpret the world, int literally interpret your experience yeah. differently. You see things how right. Jesus that's, And that's what we were talking about the very beginning when I talked about having, I, Jesus says this all the time, have eyes to see and ears to hear. It's like we need spiritual eyes 
to see what God is doing, right? We miss out on 99% of the things that God is up to because we don't have spiritual eyes. And Jesus had them, right? Like when Jesus looked at a person, and this is where all the ills of our world come from. When Jesus looked at a person, they saw someone made in the image of God because they had the eyes to see it. Yeah. Nine times, 9.999 times out of 10, when I look at another person, I do not see someone made in the image of God. I just see a random human being that I have no connection with. Yeah. And if I saw them with the eyes of Christ, I would treat them very differently. And if yeah. every single person on the planet did that, yeah. we would usher in the kingdom of heaven. Man, that would change everything. It, it yeah. would change everything about yourself, your own life. It would change everything about your family. It would change everything about your community. Right. All the way on. And out. you won't know that another person is made in the image of God unless, and you won't know what the image of God is yeah. unless you get in the word of God where it tells you that people are made in the image of God, the ramifications of that and what God looks like. Yes. So ladies and gentlemen, coming up into United, get in your Bibles read 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 with other people like get together study it you know with yeah, sometimes group. it's really good to be around people who get excited about the bible it's like yeah. i don't feel so passionate about this i don't always get it it's confusing find someone like obviously i get really passionate about it. like I've, I've been like on the edge of my seat in front of michael right now talking about these things because <laughs> i just find them so potent and powerful and changing it's like find someone if you want to come hang out with me i'm happy to do that like find someone who loves doing this kind of stuff because maybe their love and passion for it might rub off on you. Right. And maybe they have that love and that passion for it because they've discovered something that you're looking for. Yeah. And like when you find that too, you'll become right. The treasure in a that. field that is m right. more valuable than anything else. It's like that you got that. It's just, it's, it's right there. And, uh, so wow, that, this was a good podcast. Um, I'm really happy with it. Hey guys, uh, United's coming back January 25th, 7.27 p.m. I believe our first meeting is going to be at 2707 West Pike Road. Sure is. Indiana, PA. Come hang out with us. Uh, it's a great time. Good worship, good preaching. and We will talk about, we will get into the Word of God. We will get into the Word of God. Indeed. Yep, we will do it. So, hey, thank you for listening to the Uloft Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Uloft Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to it. Also, come out and join us for a Unite every Tuesday at 7.27 p.m. This is a time of music, friends, and important teaching. You don't want to miss it. You can learn more about Unites, as well as everything else we do, by visiting unitediup.com. Thank you all for hanging out with us, and we will see you in the next episode.